Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. You think it's simple, huh? No. no. Well, it is simple. It's all that old thumb, see? Yeah. Now, some people do it like this. Or like this. All wrong. Never get anywhere. Oh, the poor thing. Yeah, boy, but that old thumb never fails. It's all a matter of how you do it, though. You know, now, you take number one, for instance. That's a short, jerky movement like this. That shows independence. You don't care whether they stop or not. You got money in your pocket, see? Clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but number two, that's a little wider movement. Smile goes with this one like this. That means you got a brand new story about the farmer's daughter. Mm-hmm. You figured that out all by yourself, huh? Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, number three, that's a pip. Yeah, that's the pitiful one. You know, when you're broke and hungry and everything looks black. That's a long, sweeping movement like this. Got to follow through, though. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's no good, though, if you haven't got a long face to go with it. Here comes the car. Okay, now watch me. I- I'm going to use number one. Keep your eye on that thumb, baby, and see what happens. I still got my eye on the thumb. Something must have gone wrong. Oh. Try number two. When you get to 100, wake me up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast that looks at all the best picture winners and asks whether they still matter or not. My name is Andrew Pierce, and I'm joined by my co-host all the way from somewhere in the middle of uh, America that's currently on fire. Kentucky! <laughs> yeah! Uh, uh, Dave, welcome. Thank you very much uh, for joining me again. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's It's been a while since we've recorded, so I'm. it's been so long, and we'll talk about this at the end. It's been so long that I've changed my Twitter handle since the last time we recorded. Goodness so like every, me. So now everything we've done is totally out of date, so start here. And, and, <laughs> and it's not just because it's October that we're recording and it's horror season. I, I'm sure this is a permanent change that you're going to... Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the at has changed, not just the the name but the actual at big changes around here yeah new new year new you everything that's right it's a it's a new life congratulations that's right i mean it's 2020 what else am i doing like yeah might as well mess around with this right um on this particular episode we're going to be talking about one of the uh bigger best picture winners one of the most influential best picture winners around it certainly uh helped create a whole genre and and uh basically cement what it was to be a romantic comedy in American cinema. And that is Frank Capra's massive, uh, big successful film. It happened one night. It is uh, one of the films which won all five major Academy Awards, meaning it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, only matched by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, pretty good brethren rare. Brethren Not rare. bad. Yeah. Not bad at mm. all. Uh, and this film stars Claudette Colbert and Clark Gable as two people who uh, just kind of bump into each other on a Greyhound bus from way down in Florida, heading all the way up to New York City, and uh, romance ensues. Now, I, I, before we discuss this film, I kind of want to talk about the show that you used to do, because uh, this is right in the wheelhouse of a show that you used to do uh, called The Grand Gesture. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so you're a bit of a, you know all about romantic comedies, don't you, Dave? Yes, yes, I'm an expert. Thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> for bringing that up. Yeah, I mean, I it's, it's interesting because I think romantic comedies sometimes get shoved into the corner of kind of like chick flicks. Uh, only, only women like these movies, uh, which is a lie. I love romantic comedies. I think there is... You know, it's it's certainly there are a lot of tropes within the genre. Of course, probably not back then when this came out because the genre didn't really exist. There were certainly romance. There were romances with comedy bits in them. But like a pure rom-com, like this feels like as I was watching this, we'll get into this later, but this it feels like the start of something. 
like as you're watching it like it's very interesting it's like magic like you're like oh wow this is where all this came from um so so yeah actually that show is still going on i was actually just a guest on that show that i used to host uh (laughs) great gesture uh but that show is totally changed it's not about romantic comedies anymore you know the co-host mike who's also my co-host on another show he just you know he's got to change stuff up you just never know what he's gonna do so you know it's it's now some connection to like uh tim burton's batman that's his grand gesture to his friend derek uh so they're gonna compare everything to batman for some reason that's so so when i was on we covered the abyss we had a good time you should check out that podcast the grand gesture nothing more romantic than water and men um yeah it's uh yeah (laughs) so i mean as you're saying like it's the romantic comedy does get kind of treated like a a bit of a a a terrible cousin of film in a way and has been deemed to be the very female centric genre which is bullshit it's absolute bullshit i i I certainly extra crazy about it is like okay these are date movies yeah exactly men go on dates with all these women Yeah. Like so clearly, and and we just like a lot of guys like no, I, I hate that shit. I don't I don't watch that. And then you sit down with your partner, and you're like, oh, this is nice. Don't lie, you love it. Yeah, and you should <laughs> as well. Like this is a, a foundational part of cinema, and it is uh, certainly less uh, less frequent in the last. Uh, 10, 15 years or so, I guess the, the romantic comedy genre is kind of um, Go taken to Netflix, a backseat. They're all yeah. on Netflix. Oh, they're that's, all that's on Netflix, the, yeah. That's yeah. the new home for romantic comedies because they're, frankly, because they're really cheap to make and they feel like disposable is the wrong word, but they're they're just kind of like nice and like, okay, I don't have to think too hard about this. We can all relate to it. So it's kind of perfect for the Netflix model where you can just, you know, Put that on, put on to all the boys I've loved before or, you know, uh, always be my maybe. Like these are all like it, it, it is a little bit sad to me. Uh, Mike and I have talked about this on that show that like 20 years ago, those movies would have made crazy, crazy money. Like make Ryan movies made bank like she was a box office star uh, and the world changed. And now we got, you know, men spandex instead of romantic comedies. And I think honestly, we're the worst for it. So yeah. uh, watch more romantic comedy. Yeah. If we ever we have movies to, in the theater uh, again. Yeah, and we have to manufacture uh, relationships in those films as well in our mind and say, you know, this person shipping people here and there and saying, oh, yes. they're in love with this or person. Or canon tells us that they are actually together. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that, you know, that It Happened One Night shows is that it's actually mighty hard to have uh, great chemistry in these kinds of films and great, um, beautiful, wonderful dialogue. This is such a, a a dialogue rich film. And so much so that it just kind of, it it threw me fear of six to, to start off with because the first 10, 15 minutes, it just kind of throws you into the mix of what's going on, which is, um, you know, Ellie who's played by Claudette Calbert is a very, very young, uh, spoiled, rich daughter, uh, of a man named um, Alexander Andrews, uh, and he is—he's uh, played by Walter Connolly. And as we see at the beginning, he is uh, kind of uh, keeping her captive on a boat out in the middle of somewhere off Florida. As one does, <laughs> as one no. does. Good and I, <laughs> My initial reaction to this was like, "Oh, all right, this this film's got a lot of uh, ground to make up for for what's happening right now." <laughs> in this moment uh to make this feel a-okay and sure enough you know there is a there is a a reason why he's keeping her trapped on this boat and it's to stop her getting married to uh a a pilot named king wesley played by jameson thomas who is barely in the film and is is a bit of a, a a wet rag of a man um and she does want to rush off to new york to come be with this beau and every time that we do see him we think why uh and especially as an opposed to the man who she meets on a bus uh heading again to new york city which is uh, peter Vaughan, played by clark gable who is one of the most suave and uh you know, charismatic men around, and gosh, he looks good in this film. It is, it is a delight to watch him perform and play, and just um, tease the dialogue and play around with it, and and tease Claudette Colbert as well. Um, 
they have wonderful chemistry in this film, which is a huge thing because they are at each other's necks for a lot of the way. Uh, and, you know, in, in an interesting way, like one of the other films we're going to be discussing in a future episode is The Thin Man, and the relationship in that film is very similar to mm. the relationship mm-hmm. here in a very uh, polite jab kind of way. Um, yes. How did you see that kind of relationship? The, 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 the sparring, the, the, you know, touching sparring, I guess is the way of putting it. So a couple things, one, like I was watching this and like, I just kind of had this, you know, I talked about this, like feels like magic, like seeing these, this genre, like appear in time before your eyes. And I was like, as they, you know, ran into each other on this, on this bus, I'm like, it's a meat cute. Like this is the meat cute. This is the beginning of the meat cute, like where they just immediately connect and like, you know, there's a, there's that verbal sparring, but you can tell there's a spark there immediately. And I was just like, this is so cool. Excuse me, lady, but that upon which you sit is mine. I beg your pardon. Now listen, I put up a stiff fight for that seat. So if it's just the same to you, scram. Driver. Are these seats reserved? No, first come, first served. Thank you. Hey, driver, these seats accommodate two people, don't they? Well, maybe they do and maybe they don't. Thank you. Move over. This is a maybe they do. If you'd ask me real nice, I might put that bag up there for you. Next time you drop in, bring your folks. And I love the fact that it just throws you in with it. Like, they basically tell you the plot in the first five minutes. Like, here's her deal. Here's why she's kept on this boat. All right, let's go. Let's have these two people meet. They don't waste a bunch of time. You don't have a lot of background on him to start. Like, you kind of find out what he does for a living, and that's it, right? And then these two are thrown together. And you mentioned chemistry, and I can't imagine how difficult it must be to be a director or a casting director, because uh, that's your job, right, is to listen to them read, you know, have them play off each other and, and go like, yeah, they've got it. But within like I would I would say it takes about 20 seconds and you're like, oh, my God, these two like just get a room already. Like you just know it from the very, very start. And it's a it's also a tough sell in 2020 because of that verbal sparring can teeter on that edge of misogyny. Right. You got to be real careful with it. But I think that. She stands up for herself at numerous points during the movie, and you know that she can take care of herself. And he is, as you said, so suave, so debonair, so just so cool, man, that like all that stuff kind of goes out the window. Um, And you're just like rooting. You're not even necessarily just rooting for them to end up together. You're like rooting for this just to keep going. Like I just I could just like let's be in a room with these two and have them talk for like 100 minutes. Like I'm good with that. And, you know, again, the chemistry is so important because this movie especially, is there, like, more than – is there even a scene without these two in it? Like, maybe at the very beginning when they're setting up everything, but for the rest of the movie, it's Claudette Colbert and him together. And so if that doesn't work, oh, boy, you are in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the scene that that kind of sticks out to me in that regard uh, near the end of the film when she – they the the two are separated and she is rushing off to go and get married to King Wesley and there is a moment of her in a dress talking to her father and you can just see the the life kind of having drained out of her you know she thought that the guy that she had fallen in love with has uh, abandoned her when in reality he has gone to go and try and secure her love and her relationship and her marriage and all this kind of stuff it's uh you know, again, as you're saying, the tropes didn't really exist then, and this is kind of the foundation of so many different tropes. The uh, you know the the bride run, running away at the wedding, uh, you know the, um, the the flashing of the leg to to uh, elicit a, a whole bunch of cheers from the men in the crowd and stuff like that, and get cars pulling over and all this kind of stuff. I don't think I'll write that book after all. Yeah, I'll think of all the fun you had though. <sighs> 
mind if I tried? You. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a smart Alec. Nobody knows anything but you. I'll stop a car and I won't use my thumb. What are you going to do? The system on my own. And she's got a great leg, man. That's she does. There is a reason. <laughs> there is a reason that is known. There is a reason it is shown on every single Oscars telecast where they have this compilation of great cinema moments. Like, man, it works. It still works. Like, I was just like, I was worried about that as I sat down to watch this because that is so known. Sometimes when a sequence is so known, you're like, ah, who cares? Or the movie around it actually isn't that good. But I'm just going to, like, ruin the suspense here. The movie is that good. Like, that scene, like, honestly, you could take that scene out, and this is still a great movie. And it's also the type of movie that, like, man, I wish I wish awards would award movies like this more often. Like, if you made this exact movie now and it was wildly successful, it doesn't get nominated for anything. Not a, not a damn thing. Because, again, we denigrate – I mean, in general, uh, the culture, the film culture denigrates women, and these are seen as women's pictures. So there's no way this gets nominated. But I'm like, this makes me so happy, like, looking back, like, oh, thank God that this won. Because, Andrew, I watched a few of the movies uh, <laughs> that were nominated. So uh, I watched about 25 minutes of The Barrett's of Wimpole Street and was about to fall asleep, so I just let that go. Um Cleopatra was also nominated, the original Cleopatra, the Cecil B. DeMille movie, and that's pretty good. Um, but then there's stuff like The House of Rothschild and Imitation of Life. So House of Rothschild is about this, like, powerful Jewish family, right? You know, as the as the patriarch of the family is dying poor and penniless, he basically tells his sons to go out and conquer the world, and here's how you do it. And it's essentially like you do it with money. So it becomes very, like, Jewish stereotypical. Like, they make, him, they make him and this family the hero, but it still comes off a little, like, money-grubbing, penny-pinching Jews, and I'm like, ooh, I don't... I don't like this at all. Uh, An Imitation of Life, which you've seen, Andrew, uh, is is one of those movies that – and Hollywood does this about every 10 or 20 years where they're like, we're going to make a movie about race. And yeah, we solved it. We did a good job with that one. Like it just – you know, it happened with Crash. It happened with Green Book. This is like, you know – this this year's version of Green Book, where it's like very much like we're going to solve this problem. And then you look closer and you're like, oh, that's really racist. Like, I think like I mean, there's that reaction already for something like Green Book. But I bet in 50 years, if someone were to go back and they're going to watch Green Book and they're gonna be like this one awards. What is going on? What was going on in the late 2010s that people thought this was great? So what I'm saying is like, you know, there was like 11 or 12 movies nominated. I think I watched five or six of them just because one, because of time and two, because there's some movies, they're just hard to track down from this era. Um, But this is by far, not by far because the Thin Man exists. Uh, but those two, like, kind of outshine everything else that came out that year. Like, Cleopatra's good, but it's, like, a very, you know, it's a big-budget spectacle. And it's, like, it's interesting because it's, like, a very serious movie. And it's, like, it's accidentally funny. And if they had just, like, leaned into the comedy, I think it's a better movie. Uh, but, like, I look at this group and I'm like, yeah, okay, you guys picked the right one. And it's a movie that still holds up today. So it's so impressive. Because anytime you get you know, more than 15, 20 years from the present, you're always a little worried, like, okay, we'll see how this holds up, because uh, we're racist now, but people were really racist back then, uh, and misogynist and all that. And I think this one just, it balances so well. Like, there are moments that are quote-unquote problematic, for sure, uh, but it's so, it does it with a wink. You know, it's never cruel. And I think that is what that's what sets it apart. There's a lot of movies with like kind of the the man taming, you know, the wild young woman. And it's very like, oh, I'm going to throw her in the pool. I'm going to do that, you know, and this never has those moments like it just it absolutely works. Like, I think one of my favorite scenes is when they're like sharing a sharing a room together and they have kind of this wall up in between them and they kind of have to play act as if they were as if they were together. And the whole time you're just like. Uh, you guys aren't play acting anymore. Like this is, <laughs> this is real. And actually, for once, especially during this period of time, she is not the one who is sexualized. He is. 
He does like a striptease. He does like so he slowly undresses for her. This is what you do until she blinks, and it's just like, nope, that's enough of that. But he was ready to just go all out, and I was like, you don't even see that now. Perhaps you're interested in how a man undresses. You know, there's a funny thing about that. Quite a study in psychology. No two men do it alike. You know, I once knew a man who kept his hat on until he was completely undressed. Yeah, now he made a picture. Years later, his secret came out. He wore a toupee. Yeah. You know, I have a method all my own. Uh, if you'll notice, the coat came first, then the tie, then the shirt. Now, uh, according to Hoyle, after that, the uh, pants should be next. There's where I'm different. I go for the shoes next. First the right, and the left. After that, it's uh, every man for himself. No, not at all. I was I found it interesting to to know that um, she didn't want to get undressed on screen, which is why he gets undressed because. It's much easier. Somebody's getting naked, goddammit. Frank Capra Somebody's is like, getting naked. Yeah. Somebody's taking their clothes off. I don't care which one of you it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so usually men of that era as well would be wearing undershirts, and Clark Gable wasn't wearing an undershirt, mostly because he is giving this wonderful dialogue about everything and his his uh, modesty and not wanting to get undressed in front of her and all this kind of stuff and how he has all of these ideas and stuff. And so he's running this wonderful dialogue there. And of course it was kind of, it would have been too hard to have run the dialogue and take off an undershirt and a top shirt as well. So they're like, let's just not have you wearing an undershirt and just have you wearing a top shirt. And that would be much easier because he can unbutton it. And so it makes it flow much easier. And there is a bit of a myth in the sense that um, people have talked about how the, the sales of undershirts dropped at this period of time because of this film. Whether that's true or not, who knows? But it sounds a great, uh, great. Andrew, thing. I need that to be true. I, I like need that. it to be that true. Too. Me, that makes me happy if that's true. Like that, that's great. I just, yeah, it just the man, just the two of them together. Like you know, sometimes. Sometimes actors in these types of movies, it takes a while for you to warm up to them individually. But, like, both of them, like, as soon as they show up, I'm like, I'm into this. Like, just, you know, and I can't imagine how cool and amazing this was when this was released. Because, like, those tropes didn't exist. So this must have felt like, like, I mean, not to, like, go too all out, but this is kind of revolutionary, when it comes to film, like this is a moment and I think you can, you can feel it now. And I'm sure back then it was like, Oh my God, what am I watching? And of course it was a runaway success. Like it made so much money and won all these awards. And like, honestly, I'm not mad about any of those wins because everyone in this is really good. But the interesting thing is, is that at the time Colbert had said that she, at the end of production, she said, I just finished the worst picture in the world. <laughs> and it took a long time. It got positive reviews as it came out of the gate, but it took a long time for it to actually make money before it hit the secondary movie houses and stuff like that. It, it took a while before it really, really hit on and became a success. And that's the thing is that in the moment, these kinds of films may not feel revolutionary. They may not feel like a moment. Um, but it's not until that they've got time to sit with people and to grow with people and to, to make people feel comfortable um, that they kind of succeed. And, and another thing which I, I heard about was that uh, tickets of, of Greyhound tickets and, and driving on buses and stuff like that increased because people are like, oh, I didn't realize I could actually go and see the rest of America via bus and stuff. Um, they were just like, I gotta, I gotta meet my Claudette Colbert. I gotta yeah. meet my Clark Gable. <laughs> I'm gonna get a bus ticket, man. You just never know who's gonna steal your seat. You just, yep. this is your shot. <laughs> One of the things which I find really interesting as well is how they managed to organically uh, put in her naivety about uh, wealth and about poverty in the film. Uh, there's a certain point where she, they're riding on the bus and they stop for a, a period of time and she hops off and has to go somewhere and she says she says to, to Clark Gable, you know, I'll, I'll be back a little bit late. And he's like, well, the bus isn't going to wait for you. They're just going to wait. And she's <laughs> like, no, oh, they'll wait. You know, and she tells the person at the counter, like, I'll be 20 minutes late and just nicks off and does her thing and then comes back <laughs> and... The bus is gone, of course. And she's like, why didn't they wait? I told them 
that I was going to be 20 minutes late. And it's like, no, these guys are running on a schedule. They've got a, you know, <laughs> and her lack of awareness about the reality of the world is both, it's never, I think one of the, the most impressive things is it's never a uh, bad point about her character. It's actually highlights how sad it is that she has been kept in uh, behind, I guess, well, one of the terms that they continually use is the walls of Jericho in a way, where she is, you know, protected by this wealth, protected by society and stuff. And I think that that kind of makes it a little bit, it brings the wealthy down to the level of the people who lived through a Great Depression and who were still living in, you know, the midst of poverty and stuff like that. And I think for me, at least watching this in 2020, like, this still feels fresh and immediate right now. It feels still relevant right now and not in a sense that it's like, wow, everything that they're saying is like you, you, there is so little you need to do to this film to make it modern and to translate it for a modern audience. And that is the, the, you know, it's a perfect sign of a a timeless film. Um, It just really works. It's just wonderful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you bring up this idea of her being like maybe not so aware of the realities of life, right? Because she has been spoiled for her entire life. And that could go that could go sour so easily. Um, that could make an audience turn on a character like this woman. She doesn't even know what a bus is. Like, are you are you kidding me right now? Yeah. <laughs> but I think because she is so interpersonally sharp, I think it gets forgiven. Right. Because in the very beginning, and honestly, we have to mention the great scene between Clark Gable and the, you know, whoever the guy is on the bus, the oh, yeah, scene, um, which also feels very modern. Like I was watching this, you know, like Clark Gable, every time this guy says, oh, yeah, well, like, oh, well, why didn't you say that to begin with? I, if I'd have known, oh, yeah, like it's very funny, like and very sharp and bounces back and forth. And he is clearly above this guy as far as wits like and he knows it. Right. And he never he's never trying to be extra cruel to him. Like he's trying to like get his little jabs in, but he's not out to get him. He's just like, man, I'm just trying to get on this bus. Will you just let me do my thing here? Um, But then the back and forth between him and Claudette Colbert, like she wins that particular joust right between them. And just by saying, like, are these assigned seats? damn it (laughs) that's through like a knife yeah it's brilliant (laughs) line and it's like because she is so on her toes and is able to match wits with clark freaking gable then you forgive a lot you forgive that she doesn't know that buses run on a schedule and i think you also forgive it because clark gable's character forgives it like he's like entertained by this and not in a way where he's mocking her but just like oh wow you really you don't get this let me let me help you out here and tell you how this is going to work. Okay. You know, and even the scene where he goes off and like chases after the guy that stole her, her suitcase, uh, which is a very honorable, nice, kind thing to do. And he gets back and she has no idea. Like, why is this fool running around? Like, why are you out of breath? And then she, of course, after that, she realizes it. And he has this look on his face. Like he's like kind of in awe of her. Like how, how did you how miss are, this? <laughs> not only how did you miss this, like, how have you survived? How yeah. are you walking and talking at the same time? Like, how did you not see that? You know, because she's just unaware because she's never had to be, you know? So I think a lot of that gets brushed aside. And But again, this is a this is a fine dance that, like, if there's errors on either side, I think the audience completely turns on this character, you know? and uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things which I really like about that is he does... He elevates her up in a way that is highlighted by characters like Oscar Shapley, in who is you know I rewatched one of my favorite films, uh, Some Like It Hot, which came out you know twenty years after this. Uh, hey, I just so bought that. Ago. That's coming in the mail in like two days. It's I love a brilliant that film. I Great love movie. that movie. It's such an easy film to watch, but there is there are so many characters in that film, this film, and you know so many other films as well of these men who talk about themselves like in the third person and Oscar Shapley is a man who tries to pick up Ellie uh, in the bus and he has a wife and kids <laughs> and he travels around on buses and you know he's a traveling businessman in a way and is just kind of 
domineering and is like, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And he says it in a way that is like supposed to be endearing, but it's also kind of very manipulative. Yes. And Peter Warren as a character counteracts those kinds of male figures in a way that doesn't meet Ellie and the other women on the same level. It's not still a hundred percent respectful and, you know, saying, you know, you are equal to me, but it is very much like a, you're not equal, but you don't deserve to be treated like that. And I think that, you know, that's one of the smart things about this particular film is that they set in those tones of, you know, well, at least Peter's not this kind of obnoxious man who is just like seeing a woman walking on the street and going, I'm going to take her. And, you know, we saw it in um, one of the best Broadway, uh, best picture winners ever, the Broadway Melody, where, Ooh. you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the men would just be like walking around going, well, I'm just going to take this woman. And the woman has no choice whatsoever. And I think that this kind of film helps deconstruct that a little bit. It doesn't completely change the whole uh, trope or the format, um, but it certainly challenges it. And that's really comforting and refreshing to see because uh, as so often with these particular films in the early era and sadly in today's day and age as well, um, women aren't really given the best footing in the film. Uh, They're not really given the best uh, character to work with, to create somebody who is themselves. And in every step of the way in this particular film, you feel like this is somebody who can, you know, be herself by the end of the film. Yes, she's got Peter by her side, but she feels free. She she talks about wanting to, you know, living the life of a poor person. She's like, this sounds like nothing better than doing that. Like that sounds like a dream because at least I would have something to do. And that's what I find is so wonderful about this is she feels alive and it's lovely. Yeah. And so she has an actual arc. She changes she does, in yeah. the best possible way. And, you know, I think, you know, what you brought up, this, like, comparison between our lead male character and, like, these other, like, monsters uh, that are out there. It's like, uh, at this point, it's an old trick, but it still works, right? You can have a lead male character with faults as long as you have other male characters in the movie where you're like, well, at least it's not that fucking guy. Like, <laughs> Jesus, that guy's awful. So by comparison... Clark Gable looks even more charming, and God knows the man does not need help in that department because uh, he just, like, oozes charm, like, from the moment he he gets on the screen. And honestly, I would watch an entire movie of Clark Gable uh, pretending to be in the mafia. Like, yeah. I would watch that. <laughs> that sequence is fantastic. And, like, again, you mentioned the writing a couple times, but it's, like, it's, again, a really difficult balance because when a movie is, like, so well written, sometimes you're like, okay, now this doesn't even – this doesn't sound like people anymore. You know, I think I think someone like Aaron Sorkin falls into that. Like he falls in love with the language so much. And you look at the language and you're like, wow, this is great. This is w- really well written. Then you look like no human being has ever said those words strung together like that doesn't happen. You know, same thing with even someone like Kevin Smith. So all his characters speak in monologues. Right. And it's like, no, people don't really talk like that. But this hits that sweet spot where it's super well written, super charming. And yet you're like, but I believe it. I believe these two characters, and more importantly, I believe that these two characters are falling for one another, and that romance really, really works. I was also surprised at, like, because, like, as the movie was almost wrapping up, like, I looked at the time left, and it's, like, two minutes left, and, like, the way the movie wraps up, it's just like, whoop, okay, we're done. (laughs) Like, I almost wanted, like, a little bit more at the end there, like, maybe five minutes of more, but it, it all still works so well that it's, like, any complaints I have b- about this movie are just nitpicks. Like they're just like, well, it's like tweak this little thing. Like, it's like, this is a great movie. Like it's just sometimes the Academy Awards somehow gets it right. And I think yeah, this is an example miracle. of them getting it right. It is. Yeah. Although as you're saying, like the, uh, the competition didn't sound that, uh, that crash hot this year. Um, but, uh, you know, it is, it, it's uh, one of the benefits, at least for this particular film, is that it doesn't feel like it won by default. Like, yes. Okay. I mean, you could put is, this in, yeah. in many other years and I'd still be like, yeah, that's worthy for sure. Yeah. And one of the things I find interesting. Certainly better than well, Cimarron. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it is. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to live that one down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one one of the things which I like about this film as well is it is a pre-code film, so they 
are given a little bit of freedom to have that kind of sexual energy and yeah. to have sexual references as well and not explicit but they do hide it in ways which is just absolutely wonderful and in that final shot as you're saying this film wraps up but it's set up these these aspects of it so brilliantly throughout the whole entire film you know as they sleep in different rooms throughout the 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 film uh he puts up a a curtain of a blanket in between their their beds and uh at the end you know and he's uh, this beautiful moment where he's gotten somebody to go and purchase a trumpet just so they can play you know this this uh trumpet call as the walls of jericho fall and all you see is just this blanket fall and you're like they're about to get it on and it's beautiful it is absolutely beautiful and it's just so simple as well uh how how effective the language of cinema is used here um this is an absolute delight and yes i agree with you as well in the sense that you know why can't we have these kinds of films celebrated more i remember when you know while crazy rich asians isn't of the same uh, format as such and it's not as the same at the same caliber or of the same quality yeah yep, yeah yep. yeah i i like it's the fine. film it's, it's a, a, it's a it's nice three and a half star film me, but it's not yeah. it happened one night what is no no it's not <laughs> but i do remember at the time when it came out that people were like hey maybe this film should get nominated for best picture and you know screenplay and acting and stuff like that and there were talks about constance Wu in the talks for best actress and everything and it's like i i remember the anger and the frustration attacking that particular film just because people are like this is really good maybe we should consider it for some awards and people are like how no. dare you <laughs> How dare you? This is just a romantic comedy. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be in the same breath as uh, Moonlight and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, sure, it's no Moonlight. It's no um, Shape of Water. But on the same hand, these films have a meaning, have a purpose. They are great for a reason, and arguably as well, when people are reaching for something to watch, a comfort film of some hand. You know, they're going for Sleepless in Seattle. They're going for When Harry Met Sally. They're going for It Happened One Night. And if anything, these are one of the most important aspects of um, genres of uh, cinema as a whole. Uh, and, and I'm glad that this film at least won. And I know that eventually we'll be talking about Annie Hall, uh, which is also a romantic comedy. And that is uh, a very stylized thing. When you're talking about Kevin Smith and Aaron Sorkin and stuff like that, Woody Allen's dialogue is equally so... Uh, you know, nobody has ever said that in your life except for Woody <laughs> Allen. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but yeah, I just, I just wish that there were more of these littered throughout the Best Picture winners and more of these littered through Oscar history because they deserve celebration. They are a foundational aspect of cinema and they are one of the most comfortable films to watch. And it happened one night as a, you know, a template for this kind of film. What were you going to yeah. say? So, as you were talking, and unbelievably, I was listening for once. No um, way! It, it made me think <laughs> of something. So, well, first of all, uh, friend of friend of the pod, uh, Michael Dennison, will be very angry uh, that you did not mention you've got mail. Uh, in the comfort food that you went I to. I said sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. It's better than you've got mine. Oh, oh. Okay, hey, look, I'm staying out of that fight because that's going to be a bare-knuckle brawl between the two of you. You guys have strong opinions about those movies. I happen to like them both. I think they're both very pleasant and wonderful, so I'm staying out of that one. Um, but what I was thinking is, you know, you talked about Crazy Rich Asians and people getting very weirdly upset about it. And so, obviously... I love Oscar movies. That's why I agreed to do this podcast with you. But you know what I fucking hate? People will talk about the Oscars on Twitter or elsewhere. Um, and here is why. This this is a perfect example, is that people in that field cannot stand a surprise. They cannot stand a movie that people just enjoy getting a nomination. I'm sure, you know, if like, you know, movies like The Dark Knight, you know, get nominated, they lose their frigging minds. And I think a big part of it is there is a whole terrifying industry behind the Oscars now. Not just the Oscars itself, but so much writing, so much podcasting, so much everything uh, around the Oscars. And a big piece of that is these film festivals, right? If In order to get, it seems like now, in order to get even thought about for an Oscar, like if you're not at Sundance, if you're not at, you know, fill in the blank, whatever festival you want to talk about, if you're not there, then you don't matter. 
right? If you're not at Cannes, whatever it is. And so if you didn't have your debut, you know, nine months before the normal people can see it, then nobody gives a shit. So when a movie comes out and does that well and people start talking about it and it gets that buzz, people in that field or people who want to be in that field get really upset about it. And I'm like, can't you just like, I don't know, man, like watch a movie and enjoy it? And like, that's okay. It doesn't have to be. And I love, you know, movies that are sad, right? I'm not against that. You know, I'm not against bittersweet films at all. Some of my favorite films fall into those categories. But there's nothing wrong with just watching a movie and, like, it putting a freaking smile on your face. That's okay. It doesn't have to be Oscar bait. It doesn't have to be Oscar caliber. Like, a movie like Crazy Rich Asians, whether you like it or not, it does exactly what it sets out to do. And that's, like, at best 1% of movies that come out that actually succeed at what they're trying to do, whatever it may be. Some movies are trying to make you smile. Some movies are trying to make you cry. Some movies are trying to make you think. Crazy Rich Asians is trying to make you feel that feeling of romance and happiness by the end. That's it. Like, sorry. Sorry it's not, you know, you know, not to, like, talk shit about myself. Sorry it's not Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Sorry it's not in French. <laughs> Sorry it's not, I like you how know, you picked a film that wasn't even nominated for anything. Those well, classes. it should have been. It should have <laughs> been. been, yeah. You know, or Moonlight, you know, like, take your pick. You know, movies like that feel like, okay, these are Oscar-type movies. And I think there's room for more. Like, I complained about them nominating so many movies because I'm trying to watch all of them. But I would love if every year for the Oscars, 15 movies got nominated. Because, like, okay, that movie's probably not going to win, but look, it's getting a, a little bit of a, a bump, right? And when we had movies in theaters in America, they would have those, like, you know, we're re-releasing it for the Oscar season. And movies like that would get noticed, and more more eyes would get to them. Because I know people that watch, like, three movies a year, but then when the Oscar nominations come out, they make it a point to see those movies. So these nominations do end up mattering. And it's like, it doesn't just have to be so freaking sad and so deep. It can be, it happened one night in The Thin Man. Like, that is a great, like, I actually did watch this as a double feature. I watched them back to back. It was a double feature. Yeah. It was great. I had a great time. Like, I was just like, you know, I had to go to work the next day and I wasn't like, ugh, I wasn't feeling too great about work. And I just put these on and I was like, you know what? That was a great three and a half, four hours. Like, I really had a good time tonight. And I didn't have anybody over. I didn't need to talk to anybody. I just put on these two movies and it immediately put me in a good mood. And there's nothing wrong with a movie that entertains you, that makes you happy. That's okay. And that's what this year was. Yeah, and I think as we as we progress through these films, it, we we are going to critique what it means to be a Oscar winning film, what it means to be an Oscar film, because uh, it's certainly so from to see how that changes yeah, over time, from yeah. like the 1930s to like the 2010s, there's going to be some differences. <laughs> yeah. I think I think in the 80s, the 70s and 80s, having a look forward, it feels like that's the real period that the serious film kind of uh, cemented place and where you've got your Rain Mans and... Can I blame Ordinary People for this? Uh, I know it's one of your favorite movies. You so can, I want, you can, I, but, that, that is, but that is an atypical <laughs> Oscar film. Like, it yeah. is, that has Oscar written all over it. And and it is, a you know, it's frustrating because, yeah, I do want those kinds of fun films to be recognised and win as well. Um, but, yeah, let's, uh, let's end up with the, the question which we always ask, which is whether... It happened one night is still important. What does it still matter nowadays? Is yes, it a vital. Film? Yes, of course it is. Yeah, no, of it's course a good one. it does. It, like, <laughs> it changed the game, man. This is like I mean, I called it revolutionary. So I guess yeah, it matters. Like it, it not only created a new genre, but like like this is so rare too. Like it perfected the genre when it started it. Like this is a lot of times. Like you look at like the original action movies, right? Which are kind of the gangster movies, right? Of the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, and you're like. Okay, if that came out now just like that, we would laugh at it. Like, I could see where it was going, and it's headed to really cool places. But like like you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you could make like two or three small changes to this movie, and it feels like now. Like, there's not that much you have to change, and absolutely it matters. I just wish it mattered more to the Academy. I wish movies like this actually mattered to them, because like we need we need some light stuff too, you know? Sweet with the sour, happy with the sad, light with the heavy. Give me more of it happened one night. Mm, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And and certainly in the year like 
the, the time that we're currently in and stuff like that, I think that while I do love a good sad film, I love a good drama and, and you know, a film that comments on the, the age that we live in is really important. Um, but I tell you what, they're a dime a dozen. You know, they're everywhere. Like, it, it feels God, like every single film nowadays. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, like, there is a real reality of uh, a lot of them needing to have more diversity, uh, more people of color, more queer people, more queer stories and stuff like that. And with that, there does come a lot of uh, social awareness. You know, this is the life of, of what it means to be a trans person in 2020, um, that kind of thing. And they are important. I'm not trying to belittle them. But on the same hand, that feels like every single film. And so I, I do wish that there was something just a little bit refreshing, somebody, something a little bit lighter that gets uh, celebrated and elevated. And, you know, maybe I haven't seen it yet because it's not come out in Australia, but one of the films that is kind of being talked about for next year is Palm Springs, Palm Springs um, the Andy Samberg film, which, you know, won't go into that right now, but it's like that feels like a refreshing kind of film in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah. I'm just echoing what we've already said. So, uh, yeah, this is a really important Here's what I'll say. This is, this is my final out of, out of the, <laughs> what, uh, eight movies that we've watched for this podcast already? Yep. This is number one. This is oh, the best wow. one. That's how strongly I feel about this. This is just above a movie that we both love. So this is how – I think it's great. Like I think it's absolutely fantastic and everyone should watch it. And I mean everyone. That's the thing. So a movie like Sunrise, which is great, like, fantastic, and you know bridges that gap right when you know talkies were first happening. So it's a very different kind of movie. It's not a movie I would recommend to everybody. Right? It's not – You know, there's certain people who are like, oh, you'll really like this. But like I'm not going to – you know. Educate the Philistines, Dave. Make them yeah, watch. I'm it. not gonna like go to my coworkers <laughs> and be like, "Check out this silent film." Yeah, it's it's really good. But like, <laughs> it happened one night. I could recommend to anybody, absolutely anybody, and be pretty confident they'd enjoy themselves. Yeah, it's yeah. it's great. It's great. Well, I won't spoil. I I, I won't say what my ranking is, but it's currently sitting uh, right alongside a, a, another film um, with a with a strapping young man. Uh, Yancey Cravat. Oh, um, boo, boo, <laughs> boo. Uh, anyway, where did people find you online, Dave? What, what's oh, that Twitter handle? <laughs> that, that changed now. Actually, I mentioned my co-host Mike a couple times. He chose the name for me because I am bereft of ideas. Uh, and it's Darn That Dave, uh, which I think is perfect for my uh, the way I interact on Twitter because uh, most people have that reaction to me. So follow me at Darn That Dave. And, of course, um, follow our podcast. Uh, yeah. what is it? Awards don't, don't pod. pod. Yeah, that's it. I haven't tweeted from there in a little bit, but, uh, yeah, Awards don't matter pod is where you can find us on Twitter. Um, uh, give us a listen and all that kind of stuff. Share us and everything. There has been a, a lot of listeners for this little podcast, uh, which has been really nice. We've, you know, not done push out that many episodes, but we're already racked up a thousand listens, which is, um, wow. Uh, Thank I don't think I've had for listening. That's exciting. Yeah. I don't right. think I've ever had like a thousand people listen to anything I've ever done before. So it's really nice. Uh, and I appreciate you muting the Australian and just listening to the American. Uh, look, all that matters yeah. is the, the As the you should. <laughs> As you should. You know he likes that nonsense, that Western nonsense like Cimarron. Yeah. Good. Exactly. Damn straight. I'll champion I mean, the films that need I to mean, be I mean, at least you didn't like the Broadway melody. I'll give you that. So. Yeah. 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 Um. So on the next episode, uh, we are continuing uh, a bit of a look at some of the other films that have been nominated for Best Picture and asking whether they matter still or not. And uh, there is a particular film, which uh, we've referenced a few times in this episode, which is The Thin Man. And as we talk about that film in the next episode, you'll understand why we select this particular one, because it is a, just like it happened one night, it is a... Uh, genre-defining film. It is a creator of a lot of things and uh, has influences far-reaching to modern day. Uh, so, yeah, give us a listen on the next episode of that, which is uh, Thin Man. And um, as Dave says, make sure to watch It Happen One Night. You will love it. It is an absolute treat. Uh, so thanks again for listening, and we'll see you all on the next episode of Awards Don't Matter. Detectives. Oh, that's father at work. Peter, what do I do? Maybe I can jump out of the window. They won't see me. Yeah, yeah, I uh I got a letter for you.
reprimand Bella last week. Uh, she says if we don't stop over in Wilkes-Barre, she'll never forgive us. What are you talking about? Uh, the baby's new, due next month. They want us to come. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. She saw your uh, sister on the street the other day. She said she's looking swell. Come in. You know, I hope Aunt Bella has a boy, don't you? Grandma says it's going to be a girl, though, and she hasn't missed calling one in years. Man here to see your sweetheart. Who, me? You want to see me? What's your name? Are you addressing me? Yeah, what's your name? Hey, wait a minute. That's my wife you're talking to. What do you mean, coming here? What do you want, anyway? We're looking for somebody. Yeah, well, look your head off, but don't come busting in here. This isn't a public park. I got nurse to take a sock at you. Take it easy, son. Take it easy. And these men are detectives, Mr. Moore. I don't care if they're the whole police department. They can't come busting in here shooting questions of my wife. Now, don't get so excited, Peter. The man just asked you a civil question. Oh, is that so? Say, how many times have I told you to stop butting in when I'm having an argument? Well, you don't have to lose your temper. You don't have to lose your temper. That's what you said the other time, too. Every time I tried to protect you. The other night at the Elf's Dance, when that big Swede made a pass at you. He didn't make a pass at me. I told you a million times. Oh, no, I saw him. Kept pawing you all over the dance floor. He didn't. You were drunk. Ah, nuts! You're just like your old man. What's oh. a plumber's daughter? Always a plumber's oh. daughter. Then an ounce of brains in your whole family. Oh, Peter, why you've got father, I won't tell you. Ah, oh, shut up. Now you see what you've done? Sorry, Mr. Warren, but you see, we've got to check up on everybody. We're looking for a girl by the name of Ellen Andrews. You know, the daughter of that big Wall Street mob. Yeah, well, it's too bad you're looking for a plumber's daughter. Quick baller! Quick baller! I told you they were a Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.